This is Leif Erickson, Insights Partner at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Industry Podcast Series. In these podcasts, we capture insights from some of the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They are executives, entrepreneurs, consultants, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is, like the team here at Momenta Partners, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative and we welcome your comments. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the latest Momenta podcast. My name is Leif Erickson, Insights Partner here at Momenta, and our guest today is Antonio Pellegrino, founder and CEO of Mutable. Pele, as he's known, has been involved in several ventures since co-founding his first computer services company at the age of 16. Recognizing the central role that edge computing would play in 5G, he launched Mutable in 2017. Welcome, Pele. Hey, how's it going? So listen, let's start today and talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into computing in general and and cloud computing more specifically. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Uh, I just wanted to start working coding quite early. Um, So in that regard, um, I actually did everything in high school, um, freshman, everything from robotics to uh, gaming and building a streaming site actually for gaming, um, creating uh, eRev, which was a broadcasting company for esports during 2007, uh, all the way up to, to uh, 2011. So it was really uh, an immense effort with 30 people throughout the, throughout the world. Um, and in that regard, essentially um, working with servers and everything back then, I kept on feeling the need myself of. Uh, basically creating tools to help uh, build all the ideas that were in my head. And in that regard, um, I ended up shifting from streaming video um, over to uh, developer tools and making tools to help me build my own things that I've been building. And then all these companies around me going through NYU, um, the engineering school, uh, they all needed help building what they were doing as well and create a, a company focused on more or less the cloud. And uh, in that process, uh, we realized that one of the customers is really uh, geared towards basically wireless charging for cars, um, as crazy as that sounds. And in order to pull that off, they needed to compute everywhere. And we wanted to make sure that uh, we're able to do that. So that's when uh, we created Mutable in order to uh, focus on basically trying to find compute everywhere so you can run applications everywhere, but uh, not have to actually physically have them everywhere yourself. So create like an Airbnb for servers, uh, making a public edge cloud. Cool, cool, interesting stuff um, and, and quite a journey. Um, so so how does your, um, how does your experience today in, you know, inform your views on cloud computing and where it's going? Well, by having um, these different sets of backgrounds from robotics to uh, streaming video and IoT, um, it really uh, made a lot of sense of what I was doing um, to figure out how do I take the knowledge of pain points that I had during those times and uh, apply it to 
all these companies that are sprouting up to solve these problems like AR, VR, and gaming, and all these next-gen stuff. And I realized that in order to pull that off, what needed to happen was compute more locally. Um, and uh, that's where we, we uh, really made that shift to go in that direction. Right. And, and you refer to this as, as public edge cloud. Um, and so maybe talk a little bit about the difference between, say, public edge cloud and public cloud in general, which, you know, everybody knows about. But what is it? What, what is public edge cloud and and how is it different? Yeah, we, we added our own identifier in there uh, for edge. And, and the reason for is um, so in the public cloud, uh, it is the idea of using other people's servers. Um, and for the most part, that is mainly the three hyperscalers. It's uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and they're centralized in uh, basically different parts of the world. But we're talking about usually hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from wherever the people are um, and the devices that are using it versus when we talk about the edge, we're talking about the network edge. We're talking about cable companies, telco companies. We're talking about 25 miles away from your home. Think of it like um, you're doing Amazon and you're buying something, right? And you're getting it from a warehouse uh, versus going to your corner store at a CVS and be able to pick something up right there when you need it, right? And that's really what we're trying to uh, push forward. Got you. And so who who needs this? I mean, you know, lots of organizations, businesses, um, you know, individuals uh, are accessing data from from these cloud services from AWS and and and, and Google and uh, and Microsoft. Why why does anybody need uh, you know sort of this edge cloud service? Uh, and and what kinds of organizations uh, need it? So what we realized is this is really about like three pillars, um, things that really. Uh, uh, focus on latency, trying to bring things uh, snappier and faster. So, for example, uh, gaming, um, anything to do with um, IoT, where you're basically collecting massive amount of data and having to have something sift through that data, get a response right away, and uh, have a control loop. So think of a factory, think of uh, drones going around, all these type of things. You need to have this constant feedback loop. Uh, bandwidth. So think of recording video everywhere, right? Um, let's say you're on a, a factory and you have a whole bunch of cameras looking around in order to uh, judge what's going on or a uh, outside on an oil pipeline, whatever it may be. Basically taking that video feed, uploading it and doing image recognition right away. Um, all these types of things require a massive amount of uh, bandwidth and transporting that all the way to the cloud would uh, that just costs a lot of money. It would also um, take too long to actually be actionable. Um, and then the last being security. Uh, when we talk about security, we're talking about um, trying to do things before it ever reaches the Internet. Um, so what that means is if you have uh, cameras and devices and everything out in the field or inside of buildings, and then you have uh, transporting that all the way to the cloud, usually it's that means you're going over the general internet, right? Um, the internet can be a scary thing. It's not a, a straight line going from you to a, a massive data center, um, but it is a straight line typically to go from you to your internet provider 
um, and being able to run this style compute um, inside of that facility allows you so that it doesn't reach the internet. It's inside the safe firewall um, that more or less you control. And that's really uh, a lot of what we uh, tend to work with on the security side. Interesting. So you, you mentioned the term latency. I mean, what are we talking in terms of differences, in, uh, I guess, in response time or whatever in between public edge cloud and, and public cloud? I mean, what, what's, what, you know, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Well, um, the numbers that we're talking about is the, the public cloud, what you typically have is these big hyperscale data centers, usually around 60 to 100 milliseconds. While when we're talking about the public edge cloud, we can go like down to five, 10, even sometimes one millisecond, right? Um, and having compute literally right there. So it's, it's what's this concept of data gravity, right? Um, don't move uh, the data how about you move the compute towards the data, right? It's a simple pattern of that. Right, right, and it's and it's already there, right? I mean, you're talking about leveraging existing commute re, compute resources um, that that are there and and available at, at certain times. Is that correct? Yeah, so that, that's the, the whole concept of uh, Airbnb for servers. Um, you have to think that all these companies have compute out there for a particular reason in all these regions uh, purposely for themselves, right? They have it for cable and, and uh, wireless companies that for like video streaming, right? You know, which is mainly from uh, uh, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. during the night, right? And so they have all these servers just like Amazon did for like three, three days out of the whole year. Um, and then they created AWS you know, Amazon Web Services out of that because they're like, what are we going to do with all this compute sitting here most of the day? Um, so we're doing that across the board, across all these companies that are out there that have servers uh, just, you know, miles away from where you are and where the data is. And uh, by collecting it all together and creating one cloud out of it, um, that's where we're able to make the most of uh, best of both worlds, um, not having to physically have CapEx everywhere, but allowing people who already have that uh, CapEx deployed, allow them to make money um, in addition to, uh, you know, create a secure and multi-tenant environment for them to run applications in. Interesting. And so, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, but let me, let me take it in a, a slightly different direction in the sense that, um, you know, it's one thing to provide that kind of low latency for folks that, that are doing, you know, gaming, which, of course, they, they need that as well. But, you know, businesses who might want to take advantage of that low latency and maybe even, you know, sort of industrial organizations, uh, governments, et cetera, they might want to make sure that that, you know, that compute and that, that uh that uh, link to that compute is very secure and, and, and might, you know, shy away from the term public edge cloud. Is there a private version or is, is this just a terminology G issue? I mean, what, for, for organizations that would want to say, well, I need to have all this stuff walled off for my purposes and never to be touched or penetrable by anybody else. Is, how does that fit into this equation? 
Well, um, actually, what, what has been happening in the uh, virtualization space of servers has gone an incredibly long way. Um, and so what the AWS guys have created in Google for security and isolation um, actually is, is quite great. And we're bringing that over to you um, instead of having to you bring everything to them, right? Um, so essentially what we're doing is we're providing the same environment that AWS would create where everything is walled off um, on the virtualization layer, um, as well as on the network side, we're doing hard IP um, uh, prefix uh, firewalling and everything else. So everything is quite secure on this compute. Um, and that's really what our huge focus is on. Because for us, um, being able to take over this compute and run multiple things at the same time, we have no choice but to make sure that everything is uh, as secure as possible. So that's really uh, something that we focus on. And um, we really make sure that that is uh, uh, isolated as much as possible so that way you are provided the best experience. And it's not just north and south, meaning like you have a firewall um, that's, you know, from data coming in on the on the uh, on the endpoint side and then on the cloud side, on the um, internet side, we actually make sure that each individual application running side by side on the same box is completely isolated. And that's really important. Right, great. That's that's great clarification. And so is there anything else with respect to cybersecurity that sort of um, separates or distinguishes uh, public edge cloud versus just public cloud? So the other big thing is um, if we're doing compute inside of the um, inside of your environment, especially uh, if an internet provider is providing your SD-WAN, um, which is your software-defined networking and has the global firewall rules for the whole company, and we're inside of it, um, we're able to make sure that everything is completely rolled off based off of your standards. Um, and it's basically essentially on-prem without having to be on-prem. So you get all the benefits of the security of being on-prem with having the last compute that's right nearby. Um, so by working with the cable and telco companies um, and the private networking companies, a bunch of those actually spinning up where you can create your own private LTE um, and 5G and all that kind of stuff, uh, we're definitely able to provide that kind of thing on top in order to yeah, no, that that's that's interesting. And so there's 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 obviously a whole variety of different applications that could use this this uh, uh, service or this approach, if you will, to uh, to cloud computing. What what would you say, Pele, is the role of the communications service providers in all of this? The 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 telcos and the cable companies, et cetera, in the in 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 making this happen and 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 growing this concept of public edge cloud. Well, what's what's great about the the cable and telco companies um, is that these guys have hard assets that need to be. Um, in certain locations to provide a guaranteed quality of service, right? So they're purposely putting extra redundant compute out there for their own purposes. Um, and so they have to spend all this CapEx. And if we can change that CapEx, instead of it just being um, something that is laying dormant 
and being a cost center and changing that to revenue generation, um, that helps everyone um, because that means that the telcos and the cable companies can now uh, make money off of that and, and not have to pass that cost burden over to their customers. And in addition, um, the customers now have a source of compute that is literally right there. The vendors that are working with them um, can have access to provide them a better quality of service. Um, so that's really, we see so the it's, it's cable a, and telco companies as kind of like the ushering in for the edge compute by them actually having this real estate and compute already existing. Right, right. So it's, as you say, you know, kind of Airbnb, Uber, et cetera, for, uh, for cloud compute in, the, in that sense. So um, very interesting. Um, what, uh, what are the, I want to come back to kind of the, the characteristics of an organization that would, would benefit from public cloud compute. I mean, you know, again, on, on sort of on the end user side, um, because I think this, this is something that our, our listeners would, you know, start to be thinking about. Is this something that I can use? Um, how can I use it? Um, so f from your perspective, what is it, what, you know, if you were to sort of break down the characteristics of, of an organization that could use it or even needs it um, to, to run their applications, help run their business, what would that be? Um, so think of things that uh, typically are running on device or on premise um, that are either wickedly expensive or, um, you know, need to have certain parameters in order to be performant enough. And that's the reason why you did it in the first place. Um, things that are running that are secure, that are meant to be internal, like all those types of things can now get all the benefits of the cloud without actually being, you know, all the way thousands of miles away. Um, so think of, um, as I was saying before, cameras that you now have already in your businesses that can be converted into smart cameras. And that means that they can, you know, see what parking spots are available, see what things that are, you know, supposed to be monitored 24 seven. And if there's any change in what's going on, you know, instantly um, being able to um, monitor that change, report it, and sometimes have something automatically go there to check it out, right? Um, doors left to open um, and, you know, air conditioning, all those type of things, uh, making for security purposes, making sure that that's happening just from looking at cameras, right? You know, tracking of assets and people. Um, and uh, you also can imagine, you know, fleet. Um, one example, as I was saying before, is a customer of ours is wireless charging for cars. And when you think of that, um, what that really is, is essentially um, a charging pad with a car driving on top of it. And what you need the, the real time or snappiness for is the alignment, right? You have a, a car and a person in it trying to react to driving and being exact on top of this pad in real time. Um, imagine having to do that with a, uh, a, a bad um, connection, right? Just going back and forth and back and forth, right? Right. Um, so like, exactly, exactly. And then um, that also applies where they have, you know, infrared cameras looking at this. So that way, if there's any 
built up heat from metal being on top of it or a human going underneath it or an animal, they can react to it in real time, right? So all these type of things where instead of putting all the smarts inside the device, you make the device as a uh, sensor collector and then everything else is, you know, done and managed in the cloud. Um, and what oh, the nearby cloud, in this case, the edge cloud, and that really reduces the price of that device. So instead of having a $5,000 camera, you could have, you know, these $25 or $50 cameras and have a hundred of them, right? Um, right. Prov- provide the same or better actions with a, with a lot cheaper uh, drop costs. So. You, you know what that brings to mind to me is, is you know, the government and public safety and things like emergency response and, and dealing with natural disasters, you know, you've got to, You've got to capture a lot of information and get a lot of information to a point of activity, right? Which is uh, is always challenging, right? In in those scenarios, you you hear about networks going down and you know communication, but not just you know verbal communication, but that means data communication. Do you think this is something that could be uh, useful in that regard, uh, in in those kinds of scenarios? Yeah, um, one of the actual great use cases of all this is you have to think of a lot of this world is becoming machines talking to machines, right? Less of humans telling machines what to do. And um, right now we're at the speed of humans telling machines what to do. Um, And in this case, being able to make them um, just freely talk to each other and provide this connectivity um, means network monitoring, identifying threats you know, and acting on it right away. Um, and that could be in the network, that could be data threats, that could be, uh, you know, for example, uh, the, there's an initiative right now of monitoring the electrical grid. And if you mon- monitor electrical grid, you could actually, you know, see in real time, all these like uh, uh, natural disasters come through tornadoes and whatever else and see how things go down and come back up and, and constantly, uh, you know, target where or secure where you predict the next, you know, event is going to happen um, as, you know, storm rolls through. Um, so all these things become very important in planning and reacting in real time versus, uh, you know, you get a, a recording after the fact and being like, oh, okay, that's what happened, right? Um, right. It's like catching someone in the act, right, versus, um, you know, Oh, uh, that guy's wearing a hoodie. I couldn't understand. I couldn't figure out who he was. So, oops, yeah. that recording is not really helpful. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you mentioned the grid. You know, of course, the the electrical distribution world is moving more towards a distributed grid, where you know the you know who is a producer of of electricity versus who is a consumer is going to blur a little bit, right? As people you mentioned again, electric vehicles, you know, that night they may be uh, inclined and they're not going to use the car the next day to put some of that power onto the grid. You know, people with solar panels, uh, I could see this also being uh, uh, useful in that context as well, because there's a lot of information exchange that has to happen as part of that brokering of where power is produced, where it's consumed, and and and, and how that whole thing is managed. Um, so... Interesting. So, what's the future of of this technology, uh, Pele? Is where, where are we going from here? I mean, it's it's early days, right? In terms of uh, of the use of it and and uh, the opportunities. Where, where do you see the the future of this going? 
Are there well, te technology uh, changes, for example, that are that are coming down the pipe that that are not here yet that that will impact it? So as I was, you know, leaning towards earlier, you know, the way that I see this is, you know, we, we end up in a world where we all carry around as a glass plate. Um, everything is streamed to us. Um, and essentially everything is interchangeable, but personalized, right? From being in an airport and walking, you know, down the halls, everything pops up. It's related to you to, um, uh, essentially, you know, the environment around you reacting to what's going on. So what that means is, you know, just a simple thing is like VR, right? We see VR as this futuristic thing that we've been trying to pull off for the last, I don't know, 30 years or more. Um, and it still isn't there yet. Right. And why the main reason why is because of, you know, how much does it cost for anyone to get access to it? And you have to be tethered around with a computer in order to pull it off. Right. Um, to have a good quality experience. So if we can, you know, actually run the, the VR experience off onto these you know, servers nearby, you can actually have this experience where essentially um, you get a couple hundred dollar, maybe three hundred dollar pair of glasses and you can use it anywhere. Right. And no matter where you are, off of a wireless, over Wi-Fi and be able to have that experience, it changes the whole paradigm of being more like a Game Boy, right, where you can, you know, use it anywhere you need uh, versus, um, you know, something that's like a, an appliance, right? It's kind of fixed in your home. And the reason why I bring up VR is because of that. Those are tools that are now being used for training everywhere from, you know, simulations for the military to uh, retail stores where they're trying to train, you know, their uh, representatives on how to react to customers and, and uh, do customer training or working with um, industrial equipment, right, before breaking it, right? Um, right? And AR is another one of those augmented reality where you're wearing these either glasses or, you know, having it on your phone and just looking at the screen and doing image recognition and then applying content or uh, things on top. Um, that's another huge part of what's happening in the industrial world. Um, to take advantage of, you know, what should be taken off the conveyor belt or what shouldn't be, you know, what things are, um, what's the proper way of, you know, turning on this machine or not, right? All these things are now becoming assistance where the individual doesn't have to have that knowledge. It can be applied on top of the real world. Right, right. Yeah, that's, 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 that that's the stuff of a lot of the ads we see that, but we know are not reality yet, as far as uh, <laughs> VR and AR. But yes, it's a, it's a, you know it's a it's conceivable future. And when we talk about machines, um, you know, there's there's not really any privacy concerns for per se. But you know, you started by talking about people walking down the street or through a, a an airport or whatever, and you know things popping up based on them. Of course, that raises that 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 thing that everybody talks about this day, which is data privacy, right? Which is, you know, how do we, what 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 are your views on that, and how that is going to impact how this all evolves? Well, privacy is is interesting because we're becoming starting this world of, um, you know, GDPR and and the California regulation, which is going to expand throughout the U.S. and and Canada, I'm sure. And all this is about is data sovereignty, 
right? Meaning like you own this data and the data is controlled and managed by you um, versus a third party accessing it and managing it and uh, keeping that and doing whatever they want with it, right? So the way you, you have this sovereignty is to keep the data close and to keep it, you know, um, managed by you. And so that's the real premise of with these localized compute that we're doing. We're yeah. able to really, you know, focus on how do we make sure that it's not just keep this data countrywide or region wide where it is today, but how do we have this compute, you know, maybe statewide or even citywide, right? And and bring it as close as possible to you. So that way if there's a breach, it isn't a breach of, you know, millions upon millions of people. Um, but a breach of maybe 10 or, or 100, right, which really changes the threat pattern of, you know, someone trying to steal the data or, um, you know, someone trying to use that for marketing purposes or whatnot. Definitely a different, uh, you know, different uh, dynamic, if you will, in this whole thing. So it, that will change the dynamic. Um, well, this has been very interesting and I think very informative for uh, for our audience um, we we usually like to end these things off, uh, Peleev, to ask you if you have any books that you recommend or resources on this subject or anything related to uh, technology, computing, you know, et cetera. Um, for me, my my personal best friend has, has been um, actually uh, uh, Google News and being able to just whatever I look at, which includes things like, um, you know, fierce wireless and light reading and um, many other things like Bloomberg and being able to, you know, try and get all the relevant things um, as well as even we, I, so all that information that I gather for myself, I make sure I transport on our, on our own blog, actually at a blog.meetable.io. Um, so we do a weekly roundup um, and going through all these articles on drones, on uh, 5G, on um, what's going on in gaming and in IoT, and, and we basically make sure that we have that. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's really about just in, ingesting the latest um, and then filtering out what's what's now and what's in the future. Um, that's really uh, what I do for the most part. Great. Well, that, I mean, like I guess, that like any entrepreneur operating this space, you're 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 full on in terms of your focus on, you know, the the business as well as what's happening in the world that that impacts it. Well, thank you very much. This has been a, a great conversation, and and appreciate the uh, the insights. Absolutely. This is Leif Erickson, Insights Partner Memento. Thank you for listening today and please share with us what you found useful, as well as your own perspectives on digital industry. 